Welcome to the Recovering Entrepreneur Show. Bobby the Awesome here with Miss Debbie Peterson. Hello, Debbie. Hi, Bobby. And you are awesome. I agree. Oh, thank you. I am really excited. And I thought it was cute that we both said to each other, like, I thought you were a celebrity and you thought that I was uh, before the show. You have a very impressive resume and you've done a lot of things through your career. And I know we're all going to learn a lot from you today, but would you like to just start by introducing yourself and, and let us know why you're here today? Sure. Yeah. I'm Debbie Peterson, and I was the former mayor of my little town on the beach in California on Highway 1. And before that, I was a council member and I was a planning commissioner. And I've been making my living for the last 20 years because those really are volunteer positions as a real estate broker. And so while doing that, I've learned how to do win-win transactions. And also I've learned to really understand and read contracts, which all of which are very helpful. Uh, I have a degree in communication. So understanding people and working with people came naturally. It, it was something I was already good at and had learned about. And so I didn't need real estate for that. It did give me a thick skin, which is really helpful when you're in local politics. <laughs> Before that, I lived in Great Britain for 20 years, and um, I went over there when I was oh, 24, I think, right after I got out of college, and my mother had started a really fun business in Fresno, California, uh, called the Brownie Baker, and I discovered when I was working in marketing in Scotland that they have a really incredible sweet tooth and that my mother's homemade products would work really well there too. So I ended up um, starting a very successful company at the age of 24, modeling it on my mother's company. I'd helped her while I was in college and um, became the young, Scot young Scottish business personality of the year and the young career woman of Scotland and got a, a BBC award from Margaret Thatcher for entrepreneurship. And um, it just, it was a blast. It was really fun and employed about a hundred people and in Scotland and London and ended up buying a trucking company to distribute our products and, and uh, having all kinds of little spinoffs of Scottish products and just generally had a brilliant time because I was too young to know I couldn't do it. And um, that may have been what happened when I became mayor too. I, I, I never thought about not being able to do it. So that that's really my history. Um, in a nutshell, there's my resume. Wow. There was a lot of exciting things in there. I, I love what you just said though, like the fearlessness of being young and, and not, the, not having that disbelief, which is, that's a big part of what I'm learning is mm -hmm. who I am is because of all the beliefs everybody else told me, right? Like even at 48 and however old you are, we're still capable but we have all Absolutely. everybody giving us all that noise, telling us we're not usually. Um, so that was a great point. And now I wish I knew you a year ago because I just was in England and the UK last year for about six weeks and I would have bought some of the product. I'm guessing it's still around. Is that true? It, you know, I think it may be. I haven't, I, I'm not so sure. You know, one of the things that happens with entrepreneurs and, and I, I was too young to know this <laughs> when, by the time I uh, decided to sell the company or I had a management buy-in, I, one of the things that happens is 
is often the people who buy in, they want to offload the entrepreneur because sometimes they're just asset stripping. Sometimes, um, sometimes there's an element of jealousy um, or an element of we can do it better, but almost always the entrepreneur after a little bit of time is, is shifted out of the company. And that's what happened with me. The problem is when you shift the entrepreneur out of the company, you you do a heart transplant. You shift out the heart and the heart and soul of the business. And it's kind of like I always I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you make when you do home bake home baked products, I don't know what it is, but they always taste better than the same thing you would buy in a store. Well, if you can bake, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I think. I don't know what it is, but there's this, I think there's an element of love that goes into it and, and it changes it. And I think it's the same with entrepreneurs. If you take the entrepreneur out of the company, you, you pull the heart out. And so it, that's a long answer to your short question, <laughs> but I don't, I'm not sure the product is still there. At least it won't be there in its original form. I think that's a great point. And, and there's a couple business and I didn't even know we were going to go down this business, you know, like direction, but, but you bring up a couple things with, with my three to one mission, for example, you know, people have said to me, you know, why do you tell people about it? Like somebody's going to steal your idea. And I'm like, well, they can't because it's my idea. It's based on my recovery. And if someone goes out there and, uh, creates a place, a safe place for people who are in recovery to go out and, and have a good evening or day or whatever, then yay, let's do it. There's just more of them. So it can work that. together. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but, but I can, I can feel very passionately about three, two, one being the heart. Um, and entrepreneurs, I don't think as a general rule, think about running their business for an exit you know, and you exited Mm -hmm. your business. And it's something that I had never even considered three years ago. It wasn't until I got in this world and, and learned more from some of the big boys that like, oh, that's why you start a business to sell it, which I couldn't wrap my head around because it is hard, right? Like people like Mm us do it for different reasons than, than money or selling or, and quite honestly, I just don't get it. But, um, there's a lot of good products out there for, for, from people that do that. And it ter- some people just turn out or evolve into being serial entrepreneurs because they are creative types who are good at having an idea and then developing it and making it work. And then sometimes they're not so good, though, when it gets boring and it just becomes more of a mainstream co- stream company and they need to move on. You know, you made a point earlier about competition, and I love the way you were saying it because as a realtor, we work with other realtors to sell our property. And when we do that, it's a win-win. Our clients win because they have more people looking at their properties. We win because we have more people looking at their properties. We sell them faster. And and the other people win because they can look at our properties. So the pie gets bigger when you do that. And I used to, I used to, when I was selling my cakes and cookies in Scotland, um, people used to say, oh, well, do the people across the street have it? And I'd say, yes. But look at the corners downtown. This was in Scotland. I'd say, you've got Little America. You've got Burger King on one corner, McDonald's on the other king corner. You've got uh, Wendy's on the other corner. And on the other corner, you've got uh, Pizza Hut. So 
they're all there for a reason and they're all together and they they're together because they bring more it creates synergy and creates more business mm -hmm. rather than less business and so i think that this people a lot of times have even with immigration they have this idea that the pie is just a certain size or it gets smaller but in fact the pie gets bigger and we really don't need to fear that in fact it's better to embrace it i had a great call with somebody this this week, and I'm losing track of my days, but I think it was yesterday. And she has a vision too about recovery and, and all the elements. And she wants, she wants sober living in every County of every state across the country. Like she's dreaming big too. And, um, I think that's why the conversation came up. It was like, I don't feel bad about that. I, I feel like, how can I, she has different attributes and a different skill set than I do. And, and that was kind of how I left. It was like, wow, I can't wait to work with you. We're going to figure this out and, and complimentary. And, and you bring up a good point about the restaurants. It becomes a destination. Um, and that does happen right. in business. I don't, oh, yeah, remember. that's a great way of putting it. It's a destination. And when you share a common goal for something, and that happens even in, 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 with me and my political things, oh, I hate I hate the word political, but anyway, in my community things, we'll call it. Um, when we have people who share a common goal, um, it really doesn't matter what their political beliefs are, what party they are, whether they're liberal, conservative, when you have a common goal that you work toward, you can get it done and you can make a good thing happen. And I hope you will do that because I, we, you know, in California, we have so many problems with homelessness and I think 95% it's either mental illness or addiction or both. Um, and if we could more, more effectively um, treat those things, we wouldn't have the same problems. We would still, there's some chronically homeless people who wish to be, but about 75% don't wish to be. And I think we could change a lot of that if we had, if we had proper help for people, which we don't. It's, it's coming like talking to mm -hmm. Bev yesterday, I'll share kind of her jam, which I'm totally going off topic, but it's that exciting. She has either worked with the military or something, but they've devised virtual reality glasses. And I couldn't grasp the connection before talking to her. I'm like, what do virtual reality glasses have to do with addiction? Well, as a compulsive gambler, I should like, if I go to 12 steps, it says I shouldn't step foot in a casino. I actually was mm -hmm. in a casino last week and, and it broke the rules because I had dinner there. I didn't gamble. But if I did that my first month away from a bet, my body would, would react. I'd have a physiological reaction. And there's times I still do. And I, I could be aware of that. So these glasses pick up on that physiology. So if it was an alcoholic walking into a bar or past a liquor store or feeling anxiety, so it, it tells what your body's doing and then it transitions into healthy coping mechanisms, whether it's breath work or where to touch yourself on your body to stimulate or calm down and um, really get serotonin up instead of the dopamine high, just way more science than I'm capable of. But it got me like re-excited. Like I'm not in this alone, like to your point about the collaboration, it's just connecting the dots, I guess. Um, and, and knowing that the stuff is out there, which is part of why you and, and the folks that I've gotten to meet from, from the summit add so much value. Cause I don't know what I don't know what I don't know, but you yeah. do, right? Like, you know, a whole different, a whole different skill set, And 
I had never thought about, I don't want to own a house. I don't ever, I want to own an RV. So I don't get real <laughs> estate from that perspective, but I didn't think about how you guys would share. And it does make a lot of mm-hmm. sense because you're taking care of the client, which goes to the other piece of it. The pie gets bigger if you lead with your heart and not worried about your pocketbook. Yep. Uh, so, and, and I get the sense, I don't, I don't want to assume, but is that what led you into your community career? <laughs> um, yes. Okay. So can you, can you like, tell me, take me on that journey? Like, how did you end up there? What were you thinking? Well, I, I have to say, I hate politics. I have always hated politics. And, um, and I've always said that I can't even do office politics. I simply, you know, I really, I don't have time for it. I want to get things done. I want to get them done well. And I have all the time in the world for the democratic process. I have all the time in the world for uh, committees working together on things. Because as you said, we all have different skill sets and, and it truly takes a village to make things work well. And apart from which we really have no choice, we live in a, in a country where it's mostly democratic process. So we either work with the process or we have problems. But I, I, start, I couldn't vote when I lived in Britain because I wasn't a citizen. I continued to vote here. So I always did vote, but I just wasn't interested in the whole politics side of it. And then I... I moved back here to raise my son because he was, uh, I had him at 40. He was an only child and um, my, his dad and I wanted to be nearer family. And um, when we moved back, I realized that here I was in this small town of about 13,000 people with an annual budget at the time of about 10, 10 million and um, about 60 employees scattered over the city. And I realized that's the same size that my company was when I sold it. And I could get my arms around that. I could understand that, manage it, work with it, and be helpful in in best process. And I also knew that, and not in the day-to-day management, but more as a director type of position, but I also knew that they desperately needed help with their image. And um, and also I had worked in redevelopment um, for, for small companies. So I had all the pieces that were needed for a small community that needed some help. And I couldn't start, I couldn't start on the council because I had a small child and I was working full time. And so I, I began as a planning commissioner, which works really well. If you're a, a, a real estate broker, you there's, you have some, you know, property understanding already, and uh, you know the neighborhood usually. And also, um, and so I did that for four years, and I chaired it for two years. And then, then, and and I had been encouraged to do this um, by neighbors who who knew me and felt I would be a good fit to serve the community. And then I ran for city council, and I was elected, and I I. After four years, I ran for mayor and I was the first directly elected female mayor. And then I ran again and I didn't succeed. <laughs> and, and at that point, I knew I knew all too well how much corruption there was. And, and that was part of the problem, part of why I didn't succeed, because um, the other guy cheated. <laughs> so, um, Which is, you know, it is what it is. And, and of course, by the time he got caught and fined, it was too late. He'd already been the mayor for 18 months and you can't turn that around. Yes, I did it because I wanted to serve my community. And as I did it, I got so, um, I really got very touched and moved by 
our constitution and the way it works and why it works that way. And even the process in meetings and why the process is there and the purpose of the process and the sunshine laws and all of those things that are really put in place to help us be, we, the people, the people who have a government of the people, by the people and for the people. And I just was really inspired by that all the way through. And I made it a point to make sure that people always knew the process, knew how to get involved and uh, that I encouraged them to get involved. I'm still doing that. In fact, that's why I wrote, that's why I wrote my book, The Happiest Corruption is I, I really want people to own their government because it is, it's our government. Wow. There's so much. <laughs> so that was a big monologue. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it's great. You just touched so many things. I don't want to lose track of anything. Um, I love that you recognized, I'm going to say something unpopular here and that's okay. I, I own it. I love that you recognize that your town was like a business. So mm. that's always how I looked at Trump. Like I tried out for the apprentice quite a few times. And my logic was if he runs the country, like a business, as someone who doesn't follow politics, doesn't watch all the news and all the, I don't, I don't take the noise in. I'm not a homeowner. I don't have children. Right. So a lot of the, the issues that drive regular voting were important to me. But what I did here is the country's in trouble. We're losing all this money, all this stuff. So I looked at it as a business decision. Um, but then the next thing you said was image, which was very interesting because Obviously, that's why there's not a lot of Trump fans. It has to do with image. So I wanted to acknowledge the point that you had the skill set, you were solving the problem, and then you had the diplomacy and grace, I think, as a woman <laughs> and as being heart-centered, right, to, to contribute to your community. So I wanted to acknowledge that's what I heard, and, and thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And then this utilizing your skills... I would have never connected politics and real estate, for example. Um, and I don't like, I just wouldn't think that way. So I love how you brought that together and you know enough about you to know where you can best be of service. Yes. So. And you know, it's so interesting that you say that about politics and real estate and I never would have connected them either. And when I started my degree in, in uh, public relations, I thought that I would do journalism and, and I still very much have that really curious thing that journalists have. And I remember when my marriage was breaking up, I went uh, to a wonderful counselor and she did one of these psychometric tests that I can't remember the name of it, but that, that gives you an idea of the kinds of things you would be good at doing. And um, I felt like I, you know, I'd already been an entrepreneur, succeeded in business, didn't need to do, I didn't need to prove anything to anybody else. Um, but I, I still, I, these things are always helpful. And, um, and so, but, but it did teach me some things I didn't know. And one of them was that the skill set for um, politicians and the skill set for journalists and the skill set for architects, it's the same skill set. And I, I would say it's also a skill set for realtors and a skill set for entrepreneurs in entrepreneurs in the true sense. And, and the reason is because it's people who can see a problem, identify the problem, and then solve the problem. Mm. And it's, it's a unique skill set because I, someone told me there's no such thing as right brain and left brain. I don't know, maybe they should tell my neurologist that, but, but <laughs> um, I think, 
I um I think the thing about it is you can connect right brain and less and left brain. You can connect the analytical and the creative. And and I suppose there's an element of there has to be in all of those things an element of diplomacy as well. But I think probably and this is off the top of my head. I've never tried to validate it or or even even Google it. But I think probably only about 10 percent of the population have those skill sets that they actually can find what's wrong, figure out how to fix it and then go fix it. I agree with you. So two things you just reminded me of one. Um, so I love Grant Cardone. I love all things oh, Grant yeah. Cardone. He's brilliant. And he's all those things that you said that you just described. Mm -hmm. And it's funny he, when he talks about selling a house or sales, right? Cause that's a big part of what you're talking about too, is, is sales, selling yourself, selling your yes. idea, selling the solution you're selling all the time. But he talks about when you're showing a house to somebody you don't have to show them every corner. You have to find out what their problem is. If their problem is they don't have a big enough dining room for all six children, then you don't need to go ba -da 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 about the bedroom and the backyard and, you know, like all the things. So you reminded me of that. And then there was something out. Oh, the left brain, right brain thing. So my past life is in a florist and as floral managers, and I worked in grocery, so it was a lot of people. It wasn't mm -hmm. just independent shops. But then when I worked for FTD, I saw this with independent shops. Florists are creative, right? Oh, and yeah. they have all that beauty. But they're not as savvy on business. So a lot of the small shops didn't succeed. All the, you know, grocery stores taking over or, or financial crisis or whatever the things are. And it is. I think you're probably pretty accurate with your stat, that it's about 10%, the same thing, creative and business to put them together is a, is a unique dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, so that's interesting again, because I can think of it in flowers, but never would have thought, you know, as, as real estate or entrepreneurship as creative before a few years ago. Oh yeah. You know, when I was in college, I had all these friends who would talk about how hard accounting was and they'd talk about how hard their computer courses were. And, and I wouldn't have touched them with a 10 foot pole. I thought business sounded like the most boring thing in the world. And then I got into it and I realized business is creative because you take, it's godlike because you take something that's nothing. There's nothing there. And then you create it you make it and you make it or you break it. You know? <laughs> so, so true. Um, and, and to me, that's just incredibly creative and, and exciting. And so here I was having hated all these things and uh-oh, all of a sudden they're fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty neat. You've had definitely a journey. I, I warned you I'm going to be selfish. Um, but first I want to talk about your book and like why I met you at a, at a speaking event. Why is it important to you that you share your message? What is in the book? What is it that you want people to know, Debbie? Like what, what drives you to be here having this conversation with me? I want, I want people to own their government. It is our government. It was set up to be our government. If we don't like it, it is up to us to change it. The buck, the buck stops with us. It's ours. It doesn't belong to the government or the bureaucracy. It belongs to us. And we have a responsibility there. And I want people to, but people are intimidated. 
they don't know how to get involved. And I think the main thing is one of the things we talked about, which is um, you use the skills God gave you and you do what you can with what you've got. And so everyday people can get in there and get involved and make a difference. That's that's it. And what I want to do is the reason I've, I've concentrated on the corruption in the sleaze, because that is what was there. And that's where I had the most incredible time working with other citizens working to take that down. And um, it was uh, uniquely corrupt, more so than most. And um, not that there isn't a little everywhere and everything's on a spectrum, but this was on the bad, wrong, wrong end of the spectrum of corruptness. And, um, and so, and the reason is because people aren't paying attention. And um, if they're not paying attention, it's like any business. If you don't pay attention, if you don't have good systems in place, those who are opportunists, those who would take advantage of you will. And um, government's exactly the same. And so to your point that Trump was a businessman and we as business people should be involved, absolutely. Um, we need smart people with good analytical business brains. And as you said, able to communicate with other people and whose motivation is the best interests of their community, which is also how it was set up and meant to be. And so, um, so the purpose of the book really is to capture people with the sleaze because everybody wants to read about that. That's, that's pretty interesting. And, and then to say, okay, you're interested in this. And if you'd like to take it further, here's how you do it. And so I have some of the how to's in the book, um, as well as the stories, um, of, of how we fixed it. So it's corruption and how we fixed it. And I, and I have a podcast as well called, uh, corruption chronicles on, and you can find it on YouTube and, um, Corruption, the purpose of Corruption Chronicles is the same thing, to give people a voice to talk about the corruption they uncovered and uh, how they fixed it. Um, and I think that, uh, it, again, gets people's attention and then, then we can figure out how to make it better. So my goal is to get people to get involved and make it better. That's a brilliant name, by the way, Corruption <laughs> Chronicles. And you treated your book like a business, right? You have this hook. Mm -hmm. People are interested by the train wrecks and the bad news and then to offer them a solution in, a, in another way. So that's beautiful. That's very creative. I love that. That's my marketing brain. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's excellent. Uh, maybe you can help us. There's 11 of us that wrote a book together and we can't figure out the title that we want. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll sign you up to help us with that. <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. I'd love to do that. Okay. Careful what you wish for. No. <laughs> um, so, so tell me the selfish side. What are your questions? Well, so this is part of it. So my perception of all this is to understand the law. I'll be honest. I wasn't, history was not my jam. Right. And I think that's where they taught about the constitution mm -hmm. and, uh, the three branches and like, I really was confused. Um, was it Clinton or Trump or someone with the whole, well, if, if people vote and that's the point, why is there this whole other electoral thing? Right? Like I was really hung up on that for a while. I was like, well, then my vote really doesn't matter. Doesn't. And I couldn't. I agree. My... Oh, okay. All right. Cause people... Not on a national level, that's on the, in fact, on the presidential level. It's purely for president. And that's why they say we're a republic, because I guess somewhere along the line, 
somewhere along the line, our founders didn't believe that the average man was smart enough to figure out who should be president. Well, I don't agree with that. I, I would much prefer see it to see it differently. And I, and I think a lot of people would. I bet if you polled Americans, they either would think we had a democracy in that sense, or they would wish we had a democracy. I think the majority would be there. So you're right. And it's very confusing. And, and even and local government isn't even taught in schools, as far as I'm aware, because it local government wasn't even covered in the Constitution. It's covered in state constitutions, but not our federal constitution. So the confusion is... Um, normal, natural, and I don't know of anybody who wasn't, and I was confused. I got a lot less confused when I wrote the book trying to explain what it was all about. Well, and that was going to be my question. How does somebody like me understand politics or even what's going on? Like, I don't, so here's, here's what I would love to challenge every person, like the, the Fox people against the NBC or however all that works. I don't even know which stations it is. I just hear rumblings, right? Like I would love for them to, instead of watch the channel they favor to watch the other one for like mm -hmm. a week. Like that would yeah. be, if I could change the world, that would be what I would be like, Hey, go, go do this. Just have an open mind. Right. Um, Cause I think it's a lot of poisonous stuff and I don't want to get caught in that and, and the negativity. Like that's not how I live my life. So what would you tell someone like me or my audience? How do we either understand or get involved or do the right thing, um, feel good about voting, be educated enough to vote? Because that was that was always my fear. Well, I don't know enough. Like, I honestly voted for Clinton because he was handsome. Like, that was my reason. <laughs> um, and Trump, because I had loved him from a business and he wasn't acting as much of a jerk, you know, until after. But um and I also didn't understand, like, this is the other thing I struggle with. I guess I'm asking them a bunch of questions. Um, I struggle with no one person aligns with all of my values. So is it just a crapshoot of who aligns with the most or who behaves the best? Like, what would you tell? Because I would imagine me and a lot of other people that are uneducated in this arena, because I'm not uneducated. But this is not something I've invested a lot of time into. Um, do you have any guidance for people like me, I guess, in that arena? You, you'll have to remind me of your previous questions because I've already I, I keep thinking of the answers and then I and then I lose them. But um, and as far as the last well, the first thing I would say is get involved at a local level. It's so easy. You know, you can go online and find out when the meetings are. Just go to the meetings. You can go to the meetings of your city council. You can go to the meetings for your county board of supervisors. You can, and I, I'm speaking Californian here, but it's the same principles, which whatever state you're in. Um, you can, um, there are all sorts of other little districts that you would never even know about where we don't elect the people, but it's, it's the, it's our elected representatives who sit on those boards. And, and those boards are the ones like, um, your sewer district or your water board, or um, oh, sometimes there are trash boards. So there's all kinds of different boards that get set up, special districts. And um, so start by going to just one of those and figuring it out and reading or, or read the agendas or watch it on television, watch it on online. Sometimes they have special organizations that, that do the video. Sometimes the, um, the agency itself has the videos of the meetings, but just watch those 
And um, because that's the area you can make a difference. It's in your local government. They're the ones who do your streets, your water, your sewer. They're going to affect your bottom line, how much money you actually have to work with, how much expendable income you have. They're going to affect that more than any other um, part of government. They affect whether you have a hospital in your town. They affect whether you have rehab beds. That's done at a local level. Mm. And um, and so I say, first of all, go to the local things. And um, and as far as, you know, I, I, I it came to me, that realization came to me a few days ago. It's true. I'm never going to align with everything everyone says in any community, whether it's my church, whether it's my best friend, whether it's, you know, anybody, yeah. we're never going to align. And that's the beauty of it. That's why we have democracy, because uh, the intent is that we have spirited discussion and that out of that spirited discussion grows a vote. And then, of course, the majority wins, but the minority has been heard and the minority is respected. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it was set up. And so I'm remembering your one of your first questions was you or suggestions was watch the other watch the other TV channel watch the other news station and I agree and I I do that too for that very reason sometimes you know what I think is even better than that because it's it's real um is if there's someone who you know you can't agree with if you can find common ground on something as we were saying the pie gets bigger if you can find common ground on a project and work with those people, you will grow to love them and it won't matter because you'll have a common goal. And that's what happened when we uncovered the corruption in my town. It was an incredibly motley, raggedy crew of folks. It was everybody from the mayor to the janitor to the, um, you know, to the Jews, to the to the agnostics, to the really religious, to the, we had every kind of person. We had the Trump supporters and then we had the far, far, far left, the Bernie supporters. We had everybody there, but the one thing we could all agree on and that's, I think, what matters most. And like for you, it, the one thing you can agree on with this other gal is that we all wanted honest government. And and it, when when my book came out, we'd all been separated for so long by the whole COVID thing, because a lot of us are getting too old. We were being careful. <laughs> and um, And when we came together, I was so touched by the amount of love in the room, but even more by the differences, huge huge ideological differences between all of us. And we loved each other and we were hugging and we were thrilled to see each other. And I think, so my suggestion is sure, listen to the other station if you're in the car or something, but other than that, go grab a person who's just the opposite of you and sit down and listen, listen, just listen to what they have to say. Because a lot of times, and I learned more to do this when I was in local politics, because um, well, because I had people who challenged me to do it and, and I responded to that, but also um, because in one case, as a real estate broker, there was information that I knew I should have, but it was coming from um, the far, far, far right. And I wanted to understand why they were so adamant about what they were so adamant about. And I had empathy with them on a lot of levels. And, and so I... I started attending things. I went to, I, my favorite place to give speeches is the tea party because they're so engaged and we have such spirited discourse. It's fabulous. And, um, and so, and I learn things and I understand them. And when you learn things from other people and you understand them, then you figure out together and they, you, you figure out together how to create solutions that work for everybody. 
or at least for more people. But no, you know, we're never going to have something that's perfect for everybody or where we all agree all of the time. But we can have something where we respect each other and where we love each other. Spirited discourse. You're good at that. (laughs) I love it. Well, here's what I know. I don't know everything. And I also know now that no voice raising um, argument will ever change any one person's mind. Never, never, like never. Like I was married to um, a wonderful, loud, boisterous Italian and him and his dad and his brothers. And it was who was the loudest person in the room they thought was right. Nobody was right. Or, or, you know, you, you had to hear whatever. And this is where my recovery lens. And this is what I attribute it to. Cause I wasn't this way before, um, that I can be open, open-minded to the different ideas and now treat life with curiosity. You know, it's when I first got into recovery, it was 12 steps and it was 12 steps. And that was the only way, you know, and then I found a podcast and it was like, oh, okay. And then from the podcast, I started going to his retreats and then the retreats had different, you know, like breath work or moments of silence. And then I learned at Buddha and it just snowballs. And what it's doing is it's enriching my life. Like I could be selfish about it and say it's, it's enriching my life. But now also knowing 10 years ago, I didn't believe in any God. I drank and, you know, like was not whole. I thought I was, but I was never fulfilled all those things. So now I know there's that population that where is where I was 10 years ago. And instead of saying, Hey, you can have a better life by doing this one thing. No, I can say you can have a better life. And here's 30 things I've discovered. Hey, go take your pick, go live life. I know it's not necessarily my way isn't your way. Um, And that's what I love about podcasting. Honestly, this show I created for a platform to show off people who needed a place to be shown off. And the value it's, it's provided me as someone who doesn't dig into um, the same interests that, that probably the majority of people do quite honestly. Um, (laughs) my mother and I were just talking and she, you know, she said something and are you being affected? Cause there's flooding here in Kentucky and I'm in Kentucky right now. I had no idea there was flooding until somebody from Connecticut texted me and said, Hey, are you being impacted by the flooding? Cause I don't watch the news. I don't watch the noise. Right. But probably 80% of the population does that. So I don't have the same information, but the information I'm getting I'm getting it from Debbie, the mayor or Debbie, the entrepreneur, right? I'm not hmm. getting it based on who told me about Debbie and it's beautiful. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So it's amazing. So I love that you're telling me that this is a vehicle for collaboration um, and that it's a safe, like, because if you're in a recovery room or group support of any kind, you have that mutual respect and love and and the stuff that you're talking about Mm -hmm. um, a church community, but to think that there's these other communities out there, I never, I never would have thought of it as community. I would, I think that's the most heartwarming thing of all to me about having been involved in local politics is that I met people that I never thought I'd meet 
I grew to love people and know people that I never thought I'd grow to grow to love and know. And I, they probably feel the same way about me. <laughs> I'm sure they do. And that um, to me, I guess maybe because I have a degree in communication, but for me, that was the most wonderful thing. And, and I, I always say it takes a village to raise a city. And by raise, I mean, raise the, the caliber, the standards, the, how it serves all of us. And um, it does. And the whole thing about a village is we're all, in a village, we're all different, but we're all together. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So here's my selfish part. I'm going to tell you my hypothesis and I really want you to tell me what's wrong with my thinking. Um, when I started this journey, I knew that I wanted to build my recovery playgrounds. Like that's my mission. I know I want a blue October room. Who's like my favorite band. And I want a Zumba room with the Latino flavored menu. And it's all things that are around Bobby. And I know that it's going to take millions of dollars to pull this off. So my logic when I started was I need to focus on the dream and having all the pieces of the puzzle in there. So I knew I didn't have time. And part of the motivation, I guess, let me back up. Part of the motivation was when I went to rehab, I was living in Kansas and Kansas and the casinos had a relationship where they sponsored me going to rehab and rehab at the time was, uh, I think it was like $8,000 and 5,500 of it came from Kansas, which came from the gambling institutions Good for them. But in Wisconsin where, you know, like one of my dearest friends came from, he had to pay out of pocket because Wisconsin, when you go there, it's a bunch of little satellite, like I want to call it mom and pop for lack of a better word, but slot machines and bars and these little backroom things, you know, where in Connecticut, for example, there's, you know, big Mohegan sun and Foxwoods and whatever. Um, so that was one of the foundational points of my dream bubbling up. And it was like, I want there to be consistency for treatment. Why is it that because I live in Kansas, I'm entitled to recovering when this, this person isn't because they don't have access because of state government. Like I get a little frustrated by the state to state varying when I feel like there's a punishment element. Um, so my hypothesis was I need to get rich and powerful and influential enough to make a difference. So my voice would be heard because I could never go back and learn all the things I don't know about the right way in politics to go change all these policies. I know that my thinking is flawed, but I think of it as like, if Tony Robbins wanted to change a law or something that was important because he's Tony Robbins, he's going to have access to the right people and all of this stuff. So with your experience now knowing like the end goal being how, cause it's literally a matter of life and death. If someone doesn't yes. get treatment for gambling, they may commit suicide. Like mm -hmm. it's just absolutely. Yeah. And when it's time for treatment, it's not because they have enough money to go pay for rehab. It's because they're out of money 99% of the time. So what do you think the approach would be for someone like me? Um, and maybe my listeners, who knows if they want to get involved, but how do I combat something that big? I think uh, I, I love having the dream because if you don't have the dream, you won't achieve it. So you have to have that. Um, and you have to have um, markers on it. You know, you have to have, it's like benchmarks. You have to say, okay, I want to make, it has to be specific. 
And so you've, I think you're pretty, you're pretty good on that. And um, I think that your idea of, of becoming big enough and known enough that people will listen to you. Absolutely. Absolutely critical. And what you're doing is really moving in that direction. And I could tell just by listening to one or two podcasts that you, you're already an expert. And so for one, own that expert status and start working it. And I think you are. So um, from what I could hear and, um, and then as far as the practical situations concerned, one of the reasons that I, uh, that I wrote the happiest corruption is because we don't have, I noticed when I was the mayor, I'd go talk with other mayors, female mayors, and they would start talking about rehab beds and mental health beds in their communities. And I didn't have one in my county. We didn't have any, we had, I think maybe five rehab and mental health beds and they were all, um, they were all uh, for, for the very, very poor. There was, there were no other beds for anybody else. So people had to, people's family members had to go two counties away to get treatment. And it was the corruption that was taking the money that should have been going there. So um, I guess what I'm, where, where am I? I don't know where I'm going with it, but so it happens on a county level. Um, in a lot of cases, whether money goes to fund these things, it happens at a local level. And so I, I'm not sure where you take that. And I, I'll, I'll move on to the next thing and maybe some of it will flow. Um, it, you're right, it's a state to state thing. And that's unfortunate. Um, the, the federal government, I don't think even with alcohol or with other, with other more um, established um, addictive situations, I don't think it's done at a federal level. There may be some federal laws that override, but for the most part, it's what happens is done on a state level. Some of the funding that comes down might be from a national level or certainly from a state level. But um, so I'm not sure, apart from being known on a national level, which is critical, I'm not sure that there's anything that you can do um, to change that reality, which is it's state to state. However, the one there's a couple of arguments. One is that if we do not address gambling addiction, we will have worse social problems. And those worse social problems cost the government more, us, all of us, we're the government, they cost us more than helping people when they need it. You help them when they need it and it doesn't accelerate and it doesn't go further and get worse um, because that's pretty much the only way it can go. And so that's a really good argument for doing it. And, and I think there, there are two things, you know, the things that usually convince people to do anything are emotional, not logical. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> However, you have to have the logical arguments because without the logical arguments, your lawmakers um, can't do their whereases <laughs> and they can't say, whereas this happens, whereas this happens, therefore we are doing X. Um, so they need the law. We need the logical as well. We need the ordinances and the laws. Um, so, so some of those arguments, that kind of an argument about we must do it because it's more expensive. It's cheaper to do it now than it will be later the sort of whole Machiavellian side, let's just look at the finances of this guys um, because we've only got so much money. So how are we going to make it work the best for us? And, um, and then um, also uh, giving them examples of where it works. So what you were talking about in Kansas is wonderful, just wonderful. And Kansas has, I grew up, I was from Kansas for a while. My family were all from Kansas, but they have some wonderful um, healthy uh, moral 
standards and honesty and integrity. And, and, and so obviously they've said, okay, this is something that harms people. So we're going to find a way to help them if they need it. And I think, I think that that's a really good argument and a really healthy argument that sure people want to have fun and let them have fun. But for those who that kind of fun, for those that it makes sick, for those whose neurology doesn't work with it, then um, let's take some of that, those funds that are generated and let's apply them to something that helps. And so I think those kinds of arguments, and then um, if you can provide those examples of what works and why it works and provide statistics, sometimes those facts are so powerful that it's hard for people to deny them. And, um, and it's, and it's easy to throw things at it like, oh, you know, we can't give, we don't want to, um, you know, the old right term, right wing argument of fiscal responsibility and not giving people money and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is sometimes the progressive way works better because if you put money towards it now, you don't have to spend more money later. And that's just good business sense. So, um, and I, and I think that, yes, it, it's something that probably has to be legislated. And so you either need someone who you can either get a copy of the actual law that Kansas has, send it to your legislators and say, hey, this works. And I can tell you from personal experience, it works. And I'm an expert in this now. And um, can we do this? And um, I, I don't know much any other way to do it. Um, on a local level, if you want to convince when the funds come down to your county level, or if you're in a bigger city, sometimes even to the city level, when you're talking about hospital beds and that kind of things. Um, on that level, honestly, I have to tell you, most people, no matter what their political bent is, is not, are not going to argue with you about the importance of rehab and mental health beds. And um, everybody knows we got to have that. It's it's health. It's it's you know. And so so I think on a local level, you can. Often just, if you find something on the agenda where it's relevant, you can go and you can speak and you can speak your truth and you may only have two or three minutes. So you have to make sure that you've really practiced it and you deliver it well and you deliver it lovingly. Um, as you say, not not talking heads or shouting or whatever, but um, deliver it respectfully. And then the other thing is in any kind of a um, county or a city meeting, you can any but any any area that has jurisdiction over mental health beds or rehab beds or facilities. I'm calling it beds, but it can be facilities. Um, you can go speak during public comment. They will have a time in all of these meetings where you can speak to something, anything that's under their jurisdiction. And again, you'll have two to three minutes. So you can raise anything you want that's relevant. So you might be able to go to one of those and raise something. They don't like sob stories. Those don't work. Um, but some some good, healthy, the way you handle things when you talk about them, some good, healthy um, personal emotion is not a bad thing. Um, just it's victim stories don't really work. But um, as we all know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually part of my personal development is to not come to things through a victim or martyr lens. So that's important to me mm -hmm. to not be that way. Um, you gave me some really amazing ideas. So thank you for that. I hadn't thought of like getting the copy of one law and then, and then sharing it. And then for the 
like you gave me the ROI too, right? I hadn't thought of it as simple as the cost later would be more now. But I think the other thing that 321 brings to the table is part of why I want it that way is because when you get out of treatment, the success rate is very low. It's like two to 3%. Oh. So my recovery playgrounds are the, the intermission. Like I want sober living and I want them to have a job and I want them to see quality of life and, and work towards something instead of feeling like they're just running from the addiction. Um, so I want to increase those stats. So it actually means less people would have to go back in. So you're giving me like some of that juice that I needed. So thank you, Debbie. Good. Um, the other question I would ask just from a, a simplistic again, my brain, when it comes to this topic, um, community, um, is just simple because I, I don't know enough about it, but in my head, and I think you validated me by the way, about talking about influence and, and getting known. So thank you for that. Um, is, well, why did the gay marriage get accepted? Like it felt like a, now I wasn't paying attention to it until it happened. And I was glad that it happened, but like overnight, all of a sudden, um, gay marriage was legal everywhere. Like, and I was from the Northeast at the time. So I knew like Massachusetts had it, but my friends in New York couldn't get married there and all of that. So that's what I want. I want that magic switch <laughs> to get what, what I want. So what is, and I, I'm sorry to take advantage of you this way. I've just have not. Oh, no, no, heard. no. I'm it's really interesting conversation. Um, I, you know what I think it is. It's that personal thing. Again, it's where, I, you know, when I, I, I had said to you before we came on that I thought, oh, why would I go on that podcast? Because I'm not addicted to anything. Well, we're all addicted to things a little bit. So that's a little bit holier than now. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. And, um, I, I tend that way sometimes, <laughs> but, um, um, I didn't think there was any relevance to me and the relevance as soon as I started listening to your podcast, I loved you. I loved everything you had to say. <laughs> and I realized that it's, it's really not about addiction. It's about people. And, 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 um, and so all of a sudden yours has been one of the funnest podcasts I've been on. And I think it's that recognizing that people, that we're people, we're people. <laughs> and, and I think that the, for me, and I haven't heard anybody else, I haven't heard anybody else say this, maybe someone famous has, but, um, I think the reason that all of a sudden we're suddenly beginning to understand our systemic racism and, and, and um, how it, how it happens is because people are telling us, I, my son can't go drive his car after dark because he'll get pulled over by the, and you know, my nephew was shot. And all of a sudden you hear that and you're most, almost all decent people are horrified. And, and so, because then we, we identify, how would I feel if that was my son? How would I feel if that was my nephew? And, and it's, it's this whole thing that where it becomes personal and all of a sudden, it's not just a black person. It's not just someone in Mississippi. It's not just a good old boy cop. All of a sudden it's real people who we can identify with because we're, we're like each other. And so I think that it's that real people thing that is the real secret. And, um, and so people aren't seeing addicts, they're seeing people and they're seeing, and I think success stories are important too. And I think also it is, it's hugely important as I, I can't remember, I said it before, or after the show, um, but this 95% figure of people who are homeless 
either have an addiction, either that way because of an addiction or a mental health issue or both. Um, if we can start to treat these things, we can start to address some of the homeless things. And that's where you begin to realize how much more cost effective it would be. Not everybody's going to get better, but how much more cost effective it would be if we could help 25% of them, uh, we would reduce it radically. And that would be a huge social problem that would have boomerang effects, positive effects. I agree. I think that like, so homeless vets, um, you know, all of that is in the bucket of, of what I think. And I also think that they can have quality lives. Like it doesn't have to be that way, even if it is mental illness. And like after talking to Bev mm -hmm. yesterday with the glasses, if we could do something without medication and help these people function and whatever, mm -hmm. think about the normal Joe Blow who wants to just go to Applebee's at nine o'clock on a Friday night, but Applebee's isn't open because there's no workers right? So if we get all these people back into society, mm -hmm. all this, we can't find good help stuff goes away. If we give them the resources, yeah. like it literally yeah. could snowball into something. It does. Big. It has huge knock-on effects. Um, that if, you know, there's certain people who can measure these kinds of things. And I'm always so impressed with that. And, and you know, I, I just can't imagine, but I know it's big. I know it's really big. It could have huge impact in yeah. families and employment and social services. Well, thank you for your expertise on that. Debbie, I know I was a little selfish, but um, you're right. It's oh, I don't people, think you're so selfish okay. because you're not doing it for selfish reasons. It's not okay. at all selfish. That's fair. So is there anything that I didn't get a chance? Like you knew you were coming on the show. Like you said, it, it's interesting because we wouldn't have thought of the correlation between our, our worlds, but is there anything else that you wanted to share or bring up or any, any follow-up from our conversation before we, before we go? Well, I think the main thing is, of course, I would love to have people read the happiest corruption, <laughs> sleaze, lies, and suicide in a California beach town. And you can get that um, by going to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, it's online with both of them. And um, soon I've got the audio book coming out. I also have a course that you can get from my website, debbiepeterson.com. That's D-E-B-B-I-E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N.com. Um, I have a course called Double Dias, and it's it teaches you really practical ways to get involved in your local government. And so for those people who who enjoyed the corruption, but they'd really like to fix it. Um, the double dais is a really, really good way to do that. And you can get to that also from my website. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. I may be a student of yours uh, down the road here. I, I'm in this in this zone, and I'm sure you feel this too. If you had to write a book, do your job, mm -hmm. um, make a course, all those things, you need to focus on what you need to focus on. So I'm kind of trying to put my blinders on about things, um, but that's something I need to do down the road. So thank you for that. I think it'll help you with your with with your process, actually, with what you're doing. I should have thought of telling you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, it's good. I know about it, and um, everything that you said. We will make sure that is out with, with social and as we launch the show and stuff. And even because I didn't know what I didn't know in the beginning, even guests that were on the show back when we first launched, we're trying to circle back, make sure everybody's on yeah. YouTube, make sure that we're using keywords and all those entrepreneurial techie things that nobody tells us in the beginning, or they do tell us and we're consuming so much information. We just don't know, or at least I'm speaking mm -hmm. for me. Um, no, me too. So this has been a lot of fun. If, if, if I Thank had you. to say, I'm going to be talking to a mayor, you know, like I would have 
this was not what I expected at all. And this has really been a true pleasure, Debbie. So I'm so grateful. And for me too. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you. Thanks for being such an encourager and such a positive impact. I really appreciate it. You've made my day yesterday and today. Thank you. Oh, thank you. 